0: Amen. Amen. Let the church say amen. amen. Let us say amen again. Amen. It is certainly good to be here in the house of the Lord in the presence of God and in the presence of his people. What a wonderful day. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I am so delighted to be here at Uptown Baptist Church. Uh, once again, as it was already said, uh, the last time I was here, it was just myself and a camera. Myself and a camera, and that was interesting, uh, but I am, I'm I'm glad that it is not that this time. Amen. It is so good to see all of you, wonderful people of God, here today to worship and to praise and to magnify the name of our Lord. Uh, I'm thankful for Pastor Mark, uh, who has asked me to come today, and I'm grateful for uh, just his friendship and uh, and and his leadership uh, during this uh, most challenging. Time, these challenging uh, last several months. Uh, And he came uh, right when the Lord needed him, right when the Lord put him here as the time he needed to be here. Amen. And so God has uh, blessed you all uh, through the leadership of uh, Pastor Mark. And for that, we are thankful. And we um, continue, uh, not only at IBSA, but at Love Fellowship, we continue to pray for this wonderful church. And we know that you all are in the process of searching for a new uh, pastor. And so we are praying for that. I see Sister Mindy back there. Praise God, Mindy Cobb. Good to see you there. Uh, my wife is here with me, uh, Sister Tracy. Tracy, stand. I uh, just want you to see the most beautiful <laughs> woman in the building. Amen. 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 And I'm just happy that she is here with me today. Uh, seemed like last few weeks she I've been pulling her here and there. We were Uh, Over with Nathan Carter last week, we're actually at his church, and he was at our church. And so we've been running around just a little bit, Uh, but we will be back home next week. And it's good to be invited, but it's also good to be home. Amen. And so we're just thankful. We are so thankful. So God is certainly good. God is good. And uh, and we uh, ought to be blessing the Lord, for he has kept us uh, all through these last several months. And it has not been an easy time. But God has been gracious, and he has been faithful. And so I want to, um, I normally just kind of open up with prayer, and I know I've been prayed for, but if you don't mind, uh, let us bow our heads. Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, whither shall I go? Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us till we want no more. Lord, we are thankful that you have allowed us to be in your presence today. We do not take this time for granted, especially during this season. We do not take this time for granted. And so we are just thankful that you have allowed us to be here, that we might worship you, that we might magnify you, Lord, that we might give you the glory and the honor and praise that you deserve. And so now, Lord, uh, let us preach. Let us preach with power. Let us preach with passion and with conviction of heart. Lord, as I always say, if you don't do this, it won't get done. So hide me now behind the cross, that these, your people, would see more of thee and less of me. You be glorified, and let these, your people, be edified. And we'll be careful to give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. We pray this in the most worthy name of Christ Jesus. Let every heart say together, amen, amen, amen. amen. and a man. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter two, I'm going to read in your hearing and forgive me if I keep fiddling with this thing, but uh, I'm trying to get used to it. Acts chapter two, I'm going to read in your hearing just the first four verses of the second chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, For those of you who critique expository preachers, uh, I'm not very good at that, uh, but I try, but I am going to uh, preface this sermon by saying I'm not going to stay Uh, In Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, I will be walking around a little bit. Uh, I'll travel into chapter 1 a little bit and I'll travel toward the end of chapter 2 just a little bit. And I might even stop a few other places, but I'm just, uh, in case you're grading, in case you've got your critique uh, pencil out, uh, just know that I told you ahead of time that I do not plan to stay (laughs) within these four verses. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, beginning at verse number one, it is there that you will find these words recorded. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place and on one accord, King James would say. And suddenly sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues, like flames of fire that were divided, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages, in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance." I want to talk just for a few moments, and uh, and that title, I'm just going to correct one word, Lessons on Unity from the Early Church. Lessons on Unity from the Early Church. Lessons on Unity from the Early Church. And I will certainly covet your prayers. The events that have taken place over the last several months have undoubtedly challenged the unity of the body of Christ. And let me pause right here. If you say amen, I'll preach faster. Amen. Amen. If you don't, then we'll be here all day long, just struggling together. Amen. I need not cite all of the obstacles that we have endured since the early part of the year, but I'm sure you would all agree that what we have experienced has tested our spiritual bond in unprecedented ways. And it is unfortunate and perhaps difficult to acknowledge. But if we would be honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that instead of inspiring unity in our culture, we have succumbed to the division that is so heavily promoted by our culture. The church has been divided politically. Democrat versus Republican. Left versus right. Liberal versus conservative. We have been divided politically. The Church has been divided racially. We've argued over whether black lives matter, Whether blue lives matter, we've argued over whether all lives matter. We have joined in the division, and we have been divided racially. We have been divided over the coronavirus. Should we gather in person or not? Should we social distance if we gather or not? Should we wear masks or not? Should we take temperatures at the door or not? And while these may seem like trivial questions, pastors in this city have been fired over these questions. Key church leaders have stepped down over these questions. Long-time church members have left their churches over these very questions. All of this division has has been rampant in the church. And I would argue that in some ways it has crippled us in that it has caused us to lose focus on our common mission, which is to lead people to Christ. So, we need to rectify this. We need to deal with this. We need to deal with this issue of division in the church. And in order to recognize or or rectify this problem, I would argue that, that what we need, at least one thing, is a renewed sense of unity in the church. Because what we will see in this text uh, that I've read in your hearing is that it is only when the church is on one accord that it can be most effective in its mission and ministry. Now I'm sure that you all are familiar with this story set down by Luke, that famous doctor that traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. It's, it's really a sequel to his gospel, according to Acts chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 verse 3. It's really a a part two to the gospel of Luke, this book of Acts. He he writes to inform his benefactor, Theophilus, that everything that Jesus had promised concerning the continuation of his ministry and the coming of the Holy Spirit had in fact come to pass. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And then he goes on and he talks about something that took place in Jerusalem some 50 days after Jesus had ascended back to the heavens. Now remember, between the time of his crucifixion and his burial and the time of his ascension, the disciples had become somewhat scattered. When Jesus meets them for the first time in the upper room, you remember Thomas was nowhere to be found. We have no idea where he was. And then later on we read how Peter, James, and John decided they would just go on back fishing. And so sometime between the time of his crucifixion and the time of his ascension, the the disciples had become somewhat fragmented, somewhat scattered. And so Jesus now, before he makes his final departure, he needs to bring this fragmented group back together. And so he tells them to go to Jerusalem. Don't stop at the store. Don't go and check on mom and daddy. He said, said, I want you to go to Jerusalem together. Don't leave one another. Go to Jerusalem. What do we do there, Jesus? Well, just wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait because something is coming. Wait for the promise of the Father. Luke tells us that they followed his instructions to the T. He goes on and he says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together, and they were there on one accord. And it was then that God showed up. On that day, the Spirit of God descended. The church was officially launched. And you read it, over 5,000 souls were saved. And it all began with this small group of about 120 disciples all together in one place, unified and on one accord. So, the question that I want to raise this morning is what sort of guidance can we glean from this gathering of Christ followers that will help? Revive unity among us. What lessons can we learn from this first century church that will inspire us to choose unity over unnecessary division? Three very quick things I want to share with you from this text, and then I'm going to take my seat and go on back to Romeoville. First thing I want you to notice, my brothers and sisters, is the source of unity. If we're going to maintain unity amongst us in the church, we've got, to, we've got to really be familiar with the source of our unity. Luke tells us again that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together, honing in on that, on one accord. And the question is, what was it that brought them on one accord? What, what was the catalyst for them being on one accord? I would suggest it was two things. The first was prayer. Prayer brought them on one accord. In verse 14 of chapter 1, I told you I traveled there. uh, after After naming everybody, Luke said that they were all together sitting there continually united in prayer. Prayer has a way of pulling us together. Prayer has a way of penetrating the barriers that keep us divided. Prayer has a way of forcing us to put aside our differences and to really focus in, not only on God, but it focuses in on one another. Whenever I counsel married couples, I always, no matter how heated the discussion, no matter how difficult the, the meeting goes, I always, after it's over, I always end the session by having them to pray for one another. Someone once told me that it's hard to be at odds with somebody that you're praying with and praying for. And so I have them, no matter how heated it gets, I have them when it's all over to pause and one go and the other go to pray for one another. And don't you know that that praying for one another has a way of of softening and calming the mood and breaking down? How can you go before God? in the presence of God, and be at odds with the person sitting next to you. It just don't work out that well. And so something happens, my brothers and sisters, when we come together and begin to pray and pray for one another. All that divides us does not seem as important anymore. One missionary put it this way. He said, I feel that prayer binds us missionaries together drives away selfishness and envies, and fits us to be better witnesses for Christ. He went on to say, it also unites foreigners and natives as no other invisible bond possibly can. Prayer, my brothers and sisters, is a source of unity. But it is not the only source of unity mentioned in this portion of the text. Uh, the, The other source of unity is a promise. What what caused them to be united? Not only was it prayer, but it was also a promise. In verse 4 and verse 8 of chapter 1, their instructions are to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised it in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16. He said, I'm going to go away, but I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to send to you uh, the paraclete, the helper, the the other comforter. I'm going to send to you my spirit. And so they are there because of a promise. They're there because of the words of Christ. They are there because of what Jesus told them to do. Now, keep in mind this group was not ethnically diverse. They were all Jews. But we must also recognize that they were, there, were, there were critical distinctions among them. The apostles, 12, would have been recognized as a special group because of their close relationship with Jesus. Then you had the women who would have been viewed as second-class citizens. Then you have another hundred or so people that are not even named. One writer referred to them as, as ordinary folk. They were not apostles. They did not have any special standing. They were just ordinary folk. But all of these people had come together. And no doubt that everyone there was not of the same socioeconomic status or political status. Simon was a zealot. He was a political and religious revolutionary. He was a radical. He couldn't stand Rome. And Matthew was a tax collector. He would have been looked at by Simon as a sellout. He worked for Rome. And yet... Amid all of this distinction, amid all of this this difference, they were united together in one place, on one accord. And I would argue it was because of prayer and a promise. And my brothers and sisters, we have the same two sources of unity at our disposal. We have prayer and we have the promises of God as as we read them in the Word of God. And if we would just focus our attention on these two things, then it would be, it would be possible, it would be easier for us to maintain the unity that God would have us to experience. We need to come together and we need to drop all this stuff that does not really matter. And we need to set ourselves to prayer and we need to focus on the promises that are written in the word of God. Prayer and a promise are the sources of unity. But then notice, if you will, the seal of unity. Not just the source of unity, but notice the seal of unity. If prayer and a promise brought them together, what is it that held them together? The answer is in verse 4 of chapter 2. What sealed their unity was the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what sealed their unity. That's what kept them unified the ministry the holy spirit is visible all throughout scripture from the old testament all the way to the gospels we see the holy, the holy spirit active amongst the people of god on numerous occasions we see where the spirit came upon people uh, indwelt dwelt people empowered people for service however in most cases it was under unique circumstances Uh, it was only for certain individuals, usually prophets, priests, kings, or judges. These were usually the only people that, that, that had the privilege of having the Spirit of God upon them or within them. But when we get to the second chapter of the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit doing something new. He is taking up residence Not just in a few people, but in all believers. And according to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 15, and Acts chapter 19, it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that becomes the visible sign that God is bringing his people together. Different people of all races, all backgrounds, all tribes, all cultures. He is bringing them together all under Christ. So that Paul would be able to say later on in Galatians chapter 3, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's why he'd be able to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are all baptized into one body. That is through the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that binds us together. It is the Spirit of God that holds us together. We have that in common. I, I, I over the years, have uh, had relationships here and there with people who are uh, from the continent of Africa, born and, and raised there. Uh, some from Nigeria, some from Ghana. And something interesting, and I've asked Uh, just to see, because I was curious. Sometimes you'll see there may be a marking on their face. They may have different markings. And so I asked brother once what that marking was all about. And uh, he told me different reasons, but one, one, one thing, one reason for one of these markings is because it identified the tribe he was from identified the clan, the tribe he was from. In African culture, as well as in ancient culture, especially in the Old Testament, in ancient culture, uh, who, you, who you, your family, the people that you belong to is very important. It has a lot to do, it says a lot about your identity. You find your identity not, not in where you work, not in what school you graduated from, but you find your identity in your family, connection. And so the idea of having this tribal mark is very special and very, very important because it identifies them with their tribe. Well, my brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that we have a tribal mark. In the Holy Spirit, we have a mark that sets us apart and, and, and binds us together like no other source of identification ever can and ever will. We have something that brings us together so that no matter where we're from, no matter what our background, no matter what, what our experience, no matter what our race, uh, we are all one under Christ Jesus. And so you know what that means? That means that we don't have to worry about whether you're Democrat or Republican. We can check that at the door. We don't have to worry about if you're on the right or if you're on the left or if you're conservative or liberal. You can check all of that at the door. Don't worry about if you're black or white. Check it all at the door because we all belong to the same tribe. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We belong to the church. We belong to the body of Christ. We belong to the people of God, and our belonging, our unity is sealed by the permanent indwelling of the precious, the old folks used to say, the precious Holy Ghost. That's what we have, and that's who we are. Before everything, we are Christians. Before everything, we are children of the Most High God. Before everything, we are children of the King. And so we can be united because of that. And it is a bond that can never be broken. So we have the source of our unity. We have the seal of our unity. And then, my brothers and sisters, we have the spiritual impact of our unity we, we ought to be motivated to be unified and to be on one accord because there is a spiritual impact that we make when we are that way there is a a spiritual payoff if you will uh the, the and and it's two things that i think we'll see toward the end of the text we see the powerful proclamation of the gospel is one and then the fact that people were being saved is two and that is an impact that we make when we, and only when, we are unified. Now, isn't that good news? Isn't it good to know that when we are connected and when we are in unity and when we are one accord, that we can guarantee that there will be the powerful proclamation of the word of God and that people will be saved? Amen belongs there. If we really care about what God has brought us here for, if we really care about the mission that God has given us, we ought to care about the word of God going forward. And that's what we see going on in the passage. You know the rest of the story. The Bible said that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place on one accord. And cloven tongues of fire rested upon each one of them. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And there were people from all over the place that heard them that day. And, and the Bible said that Peter stood up. And he began to preach like he had never preached before. And over 5,000 souls were saved. Amen does belong there. And it didn't stop there. But you look at Philip goes out preaching. Stephen goes out preaching. Christians all over, go out all over the world and they begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And it took hold because we are here today because of that same message of the gospel. We are all here today saved and part of the body of Christ because they proclaimed the word of God powerfully and people were saved. So at the end of the day, that's what we ought to be concerned about. That's what we ought to care about. There's a whole lot of stuff that we're, we get distracted with doing, a whole lot of stuff that we think the church is supposed to be doing, but the one thing that we are supposed to be doing that, that no one can argue with, and that is that we are supposed to be telling people, telling a lost and dying world about a savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died for them, the one who rose for them, the one who paid the penalty for all of their sins, past, present, and future, and that if we would put our faith and trust in what he did on the cross, we can have all of our sins forgiven and we can be saved. That is the message that we have, and it goes forth with power when we leave here unified. And so what can we learn from the early church? We can learn about the source of our unity, We can learn about the seal of our unity, and we can be reacquainted with the spiritual impact of our unity. And that ought to give us the impetus, that ought to give us the desire to want to make sure that no matter what's going on in our culture today, whether it's COVID, whether it's, it's protests, whether it's riots, we can maintain unity as one body of believers. We can stay together and stay on mission and continue doing whatever it is that God has called us to do in this community and in this world. That is what it's all about. And so I'm done. I'm done. Keep going. I ain't got nothing left. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. But we are thankful. We are thankful to God because he does have us here together. And he has us here together bound by his spirit, premised on his word and on his promises and on prayer. And so let me pray with you now. Father, we thank you so much for this people, this group called Uptown Baptist Church. You have called them into this particular community for such a time as this. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bind them together with your spirit and with the bond of peace, Lord, so that they might go forth in this community and tell people how to be saved. Lord God, we pray that you would just bless them and that you would keep them and continue to prosper them, Lord God, in a way that only you can. We are thankful and we give you the glory, the honor and the praise. We pray this in the most worthy name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.